Good morning. You know, we come together on these Sunday mornings to worship God. The, the prayers, the, the singing, the offering uh, are all ways we seek to reorient our lives to the reality of what we believe and who we believe in, right? And during this time in worship, we hope to hear something that will help us to live our lives in, in a way that will not only make sense, but also will please God. Yes? We need a word. We need a word from God. Living, is, living this life is, is, is tough. You know, in, in my years as a pastor, I can tell you that one of the things that come up comes up over and over again when I talk to people about how hard life is. One of the things I hear so often is the subject of anger. When someone in your life struggles with anger, when you struggle with anger, what can be done? How can you handle it? Well, how do you handle anger? How do you? I'll admit that there, there are times uh, when I have failed miserably at this. I remember one time like it was yesterday. The time was actually 2003, 15 years ago. Um, there have been other times since then. <laughs> but, but the place was Roussillon, France. It was during our first sabbatical in 2003. I kept a journal of every day of our, of our sabbatical, so I have record of that day. We were traveling as a family. Becca was 20 and newly engaged. Just got engaged to Jason. Molly was 18. Kelsey was soon to turn 17. And it was one of those days it seemed that everything we tried to do was somehow prevented. We needed a laundromat, and it took hours to find a laundromat. It was like they were hiding. We needed internet. This was before smartphones. And internet cafes were, you know, they had weird hours, and you had to go in and, and get online. I remember getting online finally just as an internet cafe was closing, and Hotmail wouldn't open up. It was like, oh. We spent all this time running around and just, you know. And then there's the whole challenge of driving in France, you know, where it seems like everyone is vying for a pole position in the Grand Prix. Um, people in France drive really fast, and um, especially on those back country roads that we were driving on. So I was feeling like we had wasted most of the day. The morning and the early afternoon had just gone by, and we just came up empty. And here's a little of what, what I wrote that day. Kelsey has been asking for pizza for several days. This, this happened a lot on this trip. In our recent little journey, we knew that there were several pizza restaurants in the town of Opt, A-P-T, Opt. So off we went. As I turned left out of the driveway, a station wagon came out of what seemed like nowhere and honked at me. A couple of my backseat co-pilots, I don't remember who, said something to the effect of, hey, be more careful, Dad. You want to get us all killed? <laughs> Chris mentioned in my defense, bless her heart, that the car seemed to be going pretty fast. 
Anyway, I pulled over and let the guy pass me, the nice thing to do when you have almost wrecked both cars. But the guy stopped and rolled down his window. He began chewing me out in French. I immediately thought, good, I don't have to take it from this guy. I'll just say, I don't speak French. So when my time came to get a word in, I said my little phrase, and he immediately switched to impeccable English and began telling me how I almost caused an accident because I was not looking and how I was a menace. Use that word. Menace to drivers everywhere. Well, this day was beginning to get to me. I was tired, feeling frustrated, and I was still coming down from the adrenaline rush after the near miss. So I said that he was driving too fast. He didn't like that. <laughs> but what was worse to me, the riders in the back seat, I don't remember who, especially did not like my comment or that I was beginning to argue with this guy at all. It was all over quickly. He drove off and we menaced our way to opt. The girls, I don't remember which ones, got on my case on the way and, and I finally said some angry words to them and things got pretty quiet. By the time we got out of the car in Opt, I was really steamed. I waited for a moment when I was momentarily alone with Chris and unloaded my frustrations. I made the mistake, however, of mentioning that this extra day in Provence was a waste and that I didn't know why we stayed. Oh boy, what a mistake. Chris got very quiet. The extra day in Provence, her idea. <laughs> so here we are, sitting in a restaurant with all this marital tension. I knew Chris was mad at me, but I didn't know why. In all this, it was interesting what happened. The girls all began trying to get us to cheer up. At least that's what it seemed like. It was very touching in a, in a weird way. It was at this meal that they told us that they had been scheming to say all these pre-rehearsed comments about the talcum powder I had been using to counteract some itching. That's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> Something they knew I wasn't wanting to talk about. But basically, it was all very funny. Well, I, I did cheer up. But then, I, by contrast to the rest of the family, I really noticed there was something wrong with Chris. When we got back to the motel, she basically said that she had been miserable since Rome. For two weeks, miserable and not saying anything. Yikes. I responded to this with the same level of maturity that I had responded to other tense situations earlier in the day. I said I didn't give a bleep and I walked out of the room. Yes, Joey, I too have said bad words. <laughs> Obviously, I did give a bleep. Okay. Well, what, what she said really hurt, and I decided I would go walk somewhere, but I wasn't dressed for it, so I went back up, and Chris said she needed a walk. So I stayed behind and buried myself in trying to record our finances. I did this until about 1 a.m., Chris came back and went to bed, and after I 
adding everything up, I did realize that we were okay financially on the trip so far, and this was part of the huge load of tension that I was feeling worried about the money. So I went to sleep. The sun went down on our anger, but tomorrow would hopefully be a better day. Okay, that's the end of the quote from the journal. Oh, anger. You know, as I said, we gather on these Sunday mornings to hear from God's word about how we're to live. It's one of the main reasons we're here to worship and to hear something about how to live, right? This passage today from Ephesians seems to me to be one of the one that especially targets one of the most difficult things in life, how to handle these emotions. And I think it speaks directly to our predicament of needing to handle anger. Notice that Paul does not say something as foolish as, don't be angry. (laughs) He knew, he knew, as probably you also know, that anger is a part of life. It's it's not whether or not you or I will be angry at some point, but how you're going to deal with it. What this passage is teaching me lately is this. Uncontrolled anger is something that prevents one of the godly virtues that is central to what Christianity is all about. And I think this is Paul's main point. The virtue that anger prevents, the virtue is kindness. Paul's making the point here, and this is, these are the words of N.T. Wright, loving kindness is one of the purest forms of the imitation of God. So it's the very essence of the community of faith in Jesus, kindness. We don't often talk about it this way, but think about it. Is there someone, is there someone who taught you about Jesus? Pastor Dan asked a similar question last week. Someone who helped you. Is there someone who helped you know Jesus? Do you have someone in mind? Someone who helped you know Jesus. Now, Was that person, would you describe that person as kind? My guess is for most of us, the answer is yes. Kindness is part and parcel with the ability to be able to love people to Jesus. Kindness. So in Paul's writing, he's always concerned with the church's unity and witness. And this, this is true in his, his epistle to the Ephesians. He wants them to stick together, and he wants them to draw others to Jesus. This is what he's thinking as he's writing to, to the Ephesians. If they're struggling with controlling their anger, this will be like a drain on their ability to show the love of Jesus, especially kindness, being angry and kind at the same time. Impossible. And their witness will be damaged 
if they don't control their anger. So in his words about anger, he says that just because you experience anger doesn't mean that you're going to sin. It's possible to be angry and not sin. Another aspect here of his teaching about anger is that it has to do with its shelf life. Anger has a shelf life. It's like a commodity that can be stored if you choose. It can be nursed, it can be prolonged, and it keeps. But Paul says, don't do this. Get rid of it. Don't let a, don't let a day end without putting it away. In that event in 2003, fortunately that kind of thing was rare for me and Chris. Putting anger away and not letting it fester helps. It's helped us. Next week we celebrate 40 years of marriage and it, it has helped us a great deal to not let anger fester. Put it away. Paul goes on to say that if anger is not put away, it gives the devil a foothold in your life. And one gets the picture, it's, it's by choosing to stay angry time and time again that one allows anger to have power over you or power in your life. And before you know it, you're angry most of the time. Back in the 70s, there was a, there was a TV comedy show called Laugh-In. Does anybody remember that? I'm getting to the point in my life where I start asking these questions and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm one of the only ones. <laughs> but this show called Laughing, Rowan and Martin's Laughing, there was a comedian named uh, Flip Wilson who played a character named Geraldine Jones. And her classic line became a national expression. The devil made me do it. You remember that? Anybody remember that? Well, actually, there is more to this than you might think. The devil made me do it. Paul's lesson here is if you or I let our anger out of control, it gives too much power to the evil one. And if we do it over and over again, the evil one gets more and more power. If we let anger go on and on, we begin to lose the ability to control ourselves. But the key idea here is to control your anger before it controls you. It doesn't help to, to let it have free reign, nor does it help to bottle it up or, or to push it inside and repress it. Eventually, anger will come out if we do that. If anger is unattended to, it can create a certain vulnerability in your life. And this is similar to the way today's actually mental health professionals describe what anger can do to you if it's not controlled. Physical problems are often associated with out-of-control anger. Problems such as headaches, indigestion, insomnia, increased anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, heart attacks, stroke, even skin problems. Wow. And it makes sense, you know, brain research has shown that when we're angry, our adrenal glands floods our body with what some call stress hormones. Those hormones, adrenaline, norepinephrine, and cortisol. And at the same time, the, the, the brain directs blood away from your digestive system and toward your muscles in preparation for physical exertion, what is also called this fight or flight response. 
So your heart rate increases, your blood pressure increases, your respiration increases, uh, your body temperature rises, perspiration increases, and there's this, this increased focus of the brain. All of these things happen when we start to experience high stress or anger. Such are the physiological effects of anger. So it only makes sense that if your body is experiencing this on a regular basis over and over again, several times a day, that there will be eventually some really negative effects. The same way your, your, your car would eventually break down if you constantly drive it as if you were competing in a drag race over and over and over. So what can you do? First of all, Let's recall some really important words from the message last Sunday. Do you remember this? Our passage last Sunday from 2 Timothy. God did not give you a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power of, and of love and of what? Anybody know? A sound mind or also can be translated self-control. Self-control. Anger is not something that needs to take control of your life. If you find yourself afraid of your own anger, listen, it doesn't need to be this way. The first step is to spend a little time asking God to help you with this. You don't have to be an angry person. God has given you a spirit of self-control. This is possible. I don't care who you are and what you've experienced or why you're angry. It's possible to be in control. It's possible. But it's also important to be willing to do your part. And there are some really practical suggestions. Now, learn to walk away from tense situations until you cool down. You know that old saying about counting to 10? There's so much wisdom behind that because if you slowly count to 10, that's about how much time it takes for that first rush of adrenaline to subside. And your ability to think and your ability to act responsibly returns. Count to 10. If you find yourself getting really steamed, stop. Count to 10. It's, it's just wise. Recognize that anger is a part of life. Use your anger as a tool to become aware of something that needs to change. I think this is what Paul was hinting at when he was saying, in your anger, don't sin. You're going to be angry, but you don't need to do things that separate you from God. Use your anger as a tool to, to wake up what needs to shift, what needs to change, and make those changes. Think through why you're angry Get some advice. Form, form a plan for making some changes. And something that I have found really helpful is do something physical. Go for a run if you're a runner. Go for a bike ride or take a long walk. Go to the gym. Whatever it is that you do to get some physical exercise. I will tell you one of the things that has changed my life in my work life, the third Tuesday of every month, you will, in the afternoon, if you look for me, you won't find me because I'm out doing something really, really physical. Because in the evening, in the third Tuesday of every month, there's a certain event called session meetings. 
And sometimes session meetings are super stressful for pastors. So what I do is I go and I get a lot of exercise. And I run, I run at least like six miles or I bicycle a long way. And I come to those session meetings and you know what? It almost doesn't matter what happens at a session meeting. If we're making a tough decision or somebody says something that gets me kind of frustrated, it's like, yeah, we can do this. It's amazing what exercise does to your ability to handle anger. But long-term things. Keep a journal. Come to terms with when and, and why you get angry. Write it down and look at it. This is one of the first questions, actually, God asks of Cain early in Genesis. Do you remember the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4? It comes to a very, very unfortunate end. But God asked of Cain, why are you angry? Why? He would have done well to come to terms with his anger before it went out of control. There are great relaxation techniques available. One of the best is to read the Psalms. The Psalms is an underutilized tool in our being able to stay steady when things get tough. And just about anywhere you open in the book of Psalms, it's amazing how God will direct your eyes to what you need to see in the Psalms. But you take a phrase, two verses, even one verse, maybe even just one sentence, and use it as a prayer, and say it over and over again. The Psalms and prayer. Counseling is also a really good option if you're struggling with anger. Sometimes there's no substitute for talking things out with someone who's willing and ready and skilled to hear whatever you need to say, and it just helps. So are you someone who's under stress? I look out at you and I know a lot of you are. Health professionals tell us that there's a lot of stress in, in, in our lives. Um, and if, if that's case, we, the case, we are more likely to experience anger. So it makes sense. The more stress, the more we're going to need to attend to our anger. Now, this is all in the category of, of good advice this morning, but it amazes me how in line it is with what the apostle has said over 2,000 years ago about anger, that anger is a part of life. It doesn't mean that we should express it negatively. In your anger, do not sin, he says. And then deal with it soon, before the day ends, if possible. So how about you? Is anger an issue in your life? How about in your marriage? Honestly. I've heard couples say that, that they never get angry with each other. Hmm. Show me a couple who says this, and I'll show you a couple where one person is a controller and the other is either in denial or lying. Anger is normal in relationships. Anger is normal in marriage relationships. The closer the relationship, the more likely you'll see it. Anger is most often caused, I think, by unmet expectations things are not turning out the way you thought, or some, someone is acting in a way that you didn't expect, then anger happens. Listen, the message here is not to avoid anger, 
but rather to stay in touch with the reality of it in your life and to stay in touch with your best source of dealing with it. In other words, talk to God about it. Pray about it. One more thing, and this is where we began. Paul's concern for his church in Ephesus is that they might be one, united in their witness to the love of Christ. So he tells them, and I'm using the message translation here because I just love this. At the, at the beginning of verse uh, chapter five, listen to this. He tells them, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Thankfully, those young women I had in the back seat 15 years ago in France somehow miraculously learned more about patience and tolerance than they did about uncontrolled anger. This is God's plan for all of us, I think. To live our lives showing God's kindness and God's love to everyone as he loved us. So that, in the words of Jesus, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. May it be so. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.